I'm Matthew. I'm Rodrigo. And I'm Steven, and you're listening to the Major Spoilers Podcast, the podcast for pop culture and comic fans. The Major Spoilers Podcast covers news, reviews, and of course, spoilers, and we will go into detail about the topics we discuss, so if you haven't read, listened to, or watched the items we talk about, you might want to come back later. In this outing, the life and times of Henry Walton Jones Jr., because they named the dog Indiana, admiring his fine cha- choice of leather accoutrements, examining what makes the icon tick, and once and for all asking that musical question, does he staple that thing to his head? It's an all-indie slobber knocker, and yes, it had to be snakes. On this, the 16th in a series, our major spoilers podcast is on the air! Excellent, and yes, this is the Indiana Jones podcast. We're going to talk kingdom of the crystal skull which every other podcast is doing but at major spoilers we really like to go in depth we had a mm-hmm. lot of positive feedback on the uh, in-depthitude that we did with uh, with iron man so we're going to do that with indiana jones probably one of my favorite movie franchises of all time and as i was preparing for the show as i was pulling out all the crap indiana jones stuff that i have i realized i am a big Indiana Jones nerd. nerd. No, no, no. I, I prefer to say aficionado. Right. There we go. We gotcha. Indiana Isn't Jones that... aficionado. But that's just French for nerd, man. <laughs> <laughs> Shh. They don't know that. <laughs> I think so... that's Italian Spider-Man for nerd. <laughs> oh, man. Could you imagine Italian Indiana Jones? Yeah. Dun-dun-dun-dun. Dun-dun-dun. Lecha. Anyway. <laughs> Uh, but the big news, of course, Indiana Jones and the Kingdom of the Crystal Skull did take in $151.1 million over the holiday weekend, even though a lot of people, well, I think people are really split over this movie. In fact, mm-hmm. I think at one point, um, George Lucas even said in an interview that people are really going to hate this movie. It's going to really polarize people. And from the uh, feedback that we'll be talking about later in the show to other message boards to other people that couldn't be on the show this week. Scott Johnson, I'm looking your way. Uh, some people really hate this movie and some people really love it. But to really understand Indiana Jones, we ought to talk where he began. But before we do that, Matthew, do we have a little shout out we want to give this week? Do we? Yes, we do. Right there after Top Story, where it says, <laughs> right here in the rundown, which is, Matthew now says. <laughs> <laughs> ah, crap, we're five minutes into this thing. Go ahead, Matthew. <laughs> Radio edit. <laughs> I'm sorry. I presume you want me to read the bit about the tip chart. Yes, please. Thank okay. you. Okay. <laughs> Snip that part right out and start here. That's right, Steve. We do want to pay a, a happy, happy thanks to Eric M. for placing yet another donation in our major, spo- major spoilers tip jar. Um, we really want to thank anyone and everyone who goes ahead and, and throws a little bit of something. It's not something that we require. It's always something that we help. So if you feel like doing it, you certainly can. Eric went so far as to actually recommend a trade paperback that we're probably going to look at reviewing in the near future. Yeah. So that's something else you might want to take into account if you, you know, chuck 50 cents in there. Well, maybe a we little might bit be more, more than like 50 cents. So. <laughs> so I realized in 1980 that I really wanted to do something with television or movies or archaeology. And since archaeology didn't have the babes that movies and TVs did, Mm -hmm. I decided to get into that business. It's all because of a little movie called Raiders of the Lost Ark 
that I went to sit. It was the first movie that, well, not technically the first PG movie that my parents took me to because they did take me to see uh, Star Wars in 76. But, oh, my friend and I went and he was all excited because he heard there was boobies in, in Raiders of the Lost mm-hmm. Ark. And, of course, there's that scene where Marion, you see the half boob where she's yeah. changing her, changing into the nightgown. I was, leaned over to my friend and said, Tim, there's your boobies. Nice. But, man, this is probably, I don't know. How many times, Matthew, and now Rodrigo's too young to have seen this movie when it first came out. But how many times do you think you've seen Raiders of the Lost Ark? I actually I saw it once in the theater, and it actually made the pass of our local drive-in, which proves how old I am. Yeah. And at the time, I think I probably saw it five times in the drive-in. Hmm. Um, I had the VHS. Well, forgive me. I had the Betamax. <laughs> but... Um, just recently, I watched it again for the first time in probably 10 years, and it, wow. I want to say it actually holds up. I have probably seen this movie, no lie, close to or over 100 times. Saw it once in the movie, just totally fell in love with it. It came out on VHS, and we just purchased a, a videotape uh, machine that year. And this was also that same year that they started selling movies on videotape and back then in the early 80s you bought in a first release movie and you were paying close to a hundred dollars for this vhs tape and i saved up all summer long doing every odd job that i could so i could get this 80 dollars to go in and buy it and of course i didn't know anything about tax so then they're like that's 89 dollars i was like oh no and luckily <laughs> my dad was nice enough to kick in the extra money went home and I probably watched it 10 times the first day that I got at home. And ever since then, it was like once a week. I remember friends would come over. We just put it on a continuous loop and watch it all night long. Wow. It's this is one of those defining films for me. And I don't know what it is. I think, it, you know, from the very first moment that we meet Indiana Jones, this mysterious figure who's trudging through the jungles of Peru in 1936, and we don't know who he is or what's going on. And then all of a sudden, someone comes up behind him with a gun and cocks it, and this whip whips out and kicks it out of his hand, and it goes off and in steps into the spotlight Harrison Ford mm-hmm. as Indiana Jones. Oh, that's one of the best move, moments in, in uh, movie history, I think, when he just steps out into the light and you know that it's that it's him. And, and you know, the whole thing, he's you're going into a secret temple and don't touch anything and don't go into the light and, and don't step there and be very careful. And, you know, it's just, oh, man, this is it's one of the it's a I love every moment of the every moment of this film. Here's here's what I think is is the deal with with Indiana Jones and why it's so so good is that you know for a long time there was pulp and right. pulp sort of ran the gamut between absolute crap where with like space gorillas and stuff mm-hmm. like that and magic <laughs> that was just very obvious and over the top right. to like very dark and you know almost Cthulhu type stuff that you had to like really dig into yeah Indiana Jones kind of took all that and gave it a modern sensibility made it you know a movie that in the 80s was an actual movie that could stand on its own it had everything that was cool about pulp but also gave it the edge of the time and a movie that held up through the 90s and even today i mean i I watched it very recently i hadn't ever watched it all the way through yeah because like you said i was you know too young my parents wouldn't let me see it as soon as the boobies came out (laughs) um you know i went through and watched it and i was like yeah this is a good movie and even today even after seeing the special effects extravaganzas that we've seen all over the place this movie is fantastic you know what I, i i really like about it well there's a couple things first of all it does harken back to the movie serials 
of the 1930s, where you had these adventurer-type things, whether it be Dirk Danger or the uh, the Captain Marvel Shazam story, or whether it be the Batman serials or whatever they were, the heroes always escaping at you know, write it, you know, come back next week to see what happens. And so it does a really good job there. And I think George Lucas and Steven Spielberg really were, I think this is the pinnacle of their best work is right here. And I I know a lot of people would argue that, but look at the movies preceding it. Jaws, Close Encounters of the Third Kind, the first three Star Wars movies, American Graffiti, and then you get to, um, I can't remember, I'd have to double check, but I believe E.T. came out right before Raiders, or came out right after Raiders of the Lost Ark, or around that same time. But that's the pinnacle of of their creative collaborism together, was Raiders of the Lost Ark. Mm -hmm. I really think it was. And the other good thing about this is all the effects are practical effects. You know, whether, you know, even the melting face is a practical wax melting face that they shot. Mm-hmm. The submarines, even though it may be miniature, looked really good as a full set. The flipping of the truck when they're doing the uh, Cairo chase through uh, the streets of Cairo and Marion's in the basket and they throw her in the truck and that truck flips over and blows up. Mm-hmm. Well, that's an actual army truck that they're flipping over and that's an actual explosion that Harrison Ford is in front of. And so you feel that full impact on the screen. Even all the stunt work is realistic where... You look at Harrison Ford, who did a lot of his own stunts in that movie, mm-hmm. and you're like, fantastic. And Matthew referenced that. I think it's actually in one of the other movies, maybe uh, Last Crusade, about the stapling on of the hat, where in one <laughs> of the outtakes, you actually see him pull up a staple gun and and mock stapling the hat right. uh, onto his head. Um, let me ask you a question. Would Raiders of the Lost Ark be as good a movie had it not had Harrison Ford in it? What if it had... Oh, Thomas Magnum. What if it had Tom Selleck in the role of Harrison Ford? I I think that would be an entirely different movie. And I I think I know where you're going here, Mr. Clever, smarty man, is yes. that it, originally, if I'm not mistaken, Tom Selleck was cast to yep. play the role. And when you when you look at the one thing that Harrison Ford brings to it and the one thing that I really love about Indy, he's fallible. I mean, he's he's like Peter Parker. He's the character you look at. Sure, he's up there, and he'll stand next to a Doc Savage, or he'll stand next to a Lamont Cranston as a pulp-type character, but he shows weakness the way that, you know, a Doc Savage never could. Harrison Ford brought a real, a world weariness to it that made it feel like, you know, Indy was just a guy mm-hmm. who, you know, he, he may have, it may have been heroism. It may have been, the you know, trying to protect... The history of things, it may have been just, you know, naked greed, but whatever he was going to do, he was going to do it full force. You weren't going to knock him down easily, but if you did, he would get back up and he'd, you know, get squashed by a giant rolling boulder or something. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah, uh, Tom Selleck was originally cast for the part, but he was also simultaneously cast for Magnum P.I., a new movie or a new TV series that was just starting up. And he actually had a little bit more loyalty to Universal, Mm -hmm. who was doing um, Magnum P.I., and he said, well, you know, I'd rather stick with with them and, you know, be on their side than, you know, ditch them for everything that they've done for me and go do this movie. Which, you know, isn't a bad thing for Tom Selleck because he ended up doing, what, almost 10 years or eight years of of Magnum P.I., And all that money that comes out of that. And, you know, if you watch Quigley Down Under, that kind of gives you a kind of a glimpse of what... Tom Selleck would have been like maybe as as uh, Indiana Jones. Mm-hmm. 
Yeah. I think it would have been a little too square-jawed. Yeah, you know, I, I've been watching a lot of the old Magnum reruns on the Sleuth uh, Network, which is owned by NBC right now. And I just love watching that. And I, every time I see him doing his weird Thomas Magnum stuff, I just cannot imagine him with the bullwhip and the hat and the Nazis and the, you know, raiding lost artifacts and all those kinds of things. What, what's your favorite moments from, from Raiders of the Lost Ark? The boobies. No. <laughs> <laughs> um, well, it's it's funny, you know, going back because th- this past week was actually the first time that I saw it all the way through. Right. You know, first first good moment for me is like, hey, that's uh, Dr. Octopus leading him say, through the jungle. I was going to say, did you know that that was, you know, uh, throw me the idol, I'll throw you the whip. And the next uh. thing you know, 20 years later. He's playing Doc Ock in, yep. in a major motion picture. Th- that guy's been in a lot of stuff. He was in, uh, like, a- again, another movie that I just picked up randomly that I've never seen before, Species. He's in that. Oh, yeah, yeah. Weird. Anyway, so that's real good. You know, just uh, the the I think the best thing, and the movie just drops you in the middle of it, and just not, not even the scene where, or not even the moment when he switches the idol in the bag. Yeah. Just that moment in which he's taking sand out of it because mm-hmm. he's approximating, you know, the weight and the density of it. And then and then he does it. And then, of course, the split second of relief where you're like, OK, it worked. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And then the, the pillar starts to dip. I mean, that that's classic. Well, and it's been spoofed and, so many times. Oh, yeah. And part of it, too, is the John Williams theme song because, you know, it's or the music that's playing. It's like you hear the trill and then the switch is made. And then it's like, you know, this relaxed part. And then he, he leans back, kicks his hat back, and then all hell breaks loose. So. Yeah, is that that's your favorite part of the whole? Um, there's, you know, the 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 whole chase scene with the baskets. Yeah, like it's just such a good idea. You know, he like the girl jumps in the basket and he's looking for them, and then you know he rounds a corner and there's like thousands of mm-hmm. guys wearing turbans and with their faces covered carrying baskets. And he's just like running around knocking baskets over, and everyone's yeah. like, "Oh, what are you doing, Indiana Jones?" <laughs> and because you know, because he can't find the girl, and the relationship there, out of I think out of all the movies that that I saw, because I did I didn't see Crystal Skull. Um, Curse you, Rodrigo! Yeah, I know. I'm sorry. Um, I think it's is the best. Um, you know the the relationship between him and the German scientist um, in. Last Crusade. In Last Crusade, mm-hmm. and then the relationship between them, the singer lady. Kate Capshaw. Right. Mrs. Not Steven as, Spielberg. Kind of, yeah, kind of not as good. Yeah. Well, and you know, that's kind of a good point that you make up, that there is a really good relationship between those two, because it, it is a big kind of major part of uh, Crystal Skull. Mm. Matthew, did you have a favorite moment from Raiders? I, I actually have two. The, my second favorite is the moment where he tells Marion, it's, it's not the years, it's the mileage. Yeah. Yeah, which is just a great line and totally encapsulates the character. But I mean, the best indie scene ever, hands down, is the swordsman with the scimitar. Yeah, yeah. where where he whips it out. He's doing the elaborate, you know, the thing, and you're 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 getting ready, and you think there's going to be a you know a fight, and Indy's going to pull his whip, and it's going to be awesome, and then one, two, three, bang, and it's over. I love that moment. Yeah, the 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 trivia behind that is that Harrison Ford wasn't feeling well that day. And just wanted to get that they were rehearsing it, and he was going through dysentery or something, stomach flu, yeah. just didn't want to put up with this. And so just as a lark, he pulled out his gun and shot, and they were like, oh, that's great. Let's let's use that instead of this big bullwhip scene mm-hmm. that they were going to have, this big sword fight bullwhip scene. And I think it, it worked out so much better. And you, you're probably right, Matthew. That probably epitomizes who Indiana Jones yeah. is. He's practical. Yes. Yeah. And one of the, one of the things that you, that, you know, and – 
both of those moments, both of my favorite moments, were Harrison Ford improvising moments for the character. And it's another example of how it wouldn't have been the same movie with Tom Selleck or with, you know, Nick Nolte. No. Who supposedly was also in the run. Yeah, wouldn't that have been awesome? That would have been awful. <laughs> Gary, Gary Busey is Indiana Jones. That would have been also Well, maybe that would that be before motorcycle accident or after motorcycle accident, Gary Let's Busey? Let's say after. Um, oh, that would have been totally wild then. Okay, so I would say, you know, for me, from the moment that that Paramount Pictures mountain shows up mm-hmm. until they're carting that arc away in Area 51... The whole movie just rocks. I cannot find a single fault in that whole movie. And I know people are going to say, oh, yeah, what about uh, that slow moment where they're in the ship and it's really boring? Well, you got to remember there's some great comedy right there where Indiana Jones is looking at his wounds in the mirror and Marion's trying to look pretty and she's flipping the mirror around and hitting him in the jaw and all that. That's, you know, it's all it's just like I said, this is the pinnacle of all of of the movies. We jumped into a few years later. Hey, Raiders of the Lost Ark did so well. Let's do a sequel. Let's call it the Temple of Doom. (laughs) (laughs) Now, technically, though, this story takes place before Raiders of the Lost Ark. Raiders of the Lost Ark took place in 1936. Temple of Doom, I believe, took place in 1932 or 35, a few years before Raiders of the Lost Ark did. Mm -hmm. Totally different movie, wherein Raiders of the Lost Ark, they're actually after, I will call it a Christian myth of the Ark of the Covenant which uh, I think a lot of people know Old Testament and they know about the Bible and what Moses did when he came down from the mountain. And so I think there's a lot of people understood what was going on there. You move to uh, Eastern mythology or Indian Indian mythology, mythology. and you've got this Shankara stones and how they protect the village and how they bring life to the village, and that's what's missing. And this time, instead of Indiana Jones being paired up with Sala or being paired up with Marion— He's paired up with Kate Capshaw and a snotty-nosed little kid. No time for love, Dr. Jones! <laughs> you know? Of the movies, now, a lot of people just hate this movie. And I, I think it's because of this this idea, and it may be partly because of the Christian myth idea versus a different religious belief. That maybe they're just not familiar with. Yeah. But uh, there are also some annoying things for me. Kate Capshaw, number one who's I don't think did a great job in that. I don't mind short round because if you think about this, Temple of Doom came out right after or right around the same time that Return of the Jedi did. Mm -hmm. And here you're starting to see um, Spielberg and Lucas both injecting a lot of kid-friendly ideas. Mm -hmm. You know, the Ewoks, which should never have happened in the first place. (laughs) Uh, But you're injecting this idea... (laughs) But you're injecting this idea of Let's make it a little bit more kid-friendly, even though we do have some very horrific moments with the pulling out of the heart and those kind of things. And so you introduce this short round kid and and the uh, little prince who's who's uh, being mm-hmm. brainwashed by the uh, thuggy cult and those kinds of things. Um, you know, there there are certainly some problems with it for me, but I think it's still an enjoyable enjoyable movie. Of the four, this one is my either second or third favorite film. Mm-hmm. I think for me. And again, not not coming in with a lot of uh, expectations for it, it managed to very quickly dash what expectations I did have. Really? Because the first one, you know, you see Indiana Jones walking into this temple and he's shadowed. And in, at the very beginning of um, Temple of Doom, you see the Paramount thing turn into this um, oh, yeah, the mountain. Oh, yeah, the logo on the gong. 
on this gong and is like, okay, what is this? This is an artifact. And then they hit it and it's a gong. It's like, ooh, okay, okay, this is going to be Eastern. All of a sudden, there's a song and dance number. <laughs> and it's exactly. like, what the crap is going on? And it wasn't bad. I was like, I do not know what's happening. Okay, right. you got my interest for the next 10 minutes. Right. And you got to admit that that scene from the time Dr. Jones enters and this whole play of the ashes and the diamond and the poisoning and then the final escape and the crashing through the, the scenery down into the uh, taxi. Mm-hmm. That's, that's good stuff. I mean, that's, that's some good stuff in, in that movie. I would say that part. And then, um, the final act, uh, including the mind chase scene of that movie are the best parts of the movie. Mm-hmm. Matthew, I would agree. I would agree with the mind chase being the best part of the movie. One of my big problems with it is uh, Raiders had very distinctive villains and very larger than life. Oh, yeah, Nazis. Everybody can hate a Nazi. Nobody likes a Nazi, and that's the problem. But when you look at at Molaram, Molaram doesn't show up for like – until like halfway through the movie. Right. We're like an, an hour in before we even see that there is a villain. And I think that kind of, you know, to mm-hmm. me, that kind of kills a little bit of the momentum. Not to mention the fact that Kate Capshaw is no Karen Allen or whatever her name yeah, is. Yeah, Karen Allen, yeah. No she, Mary. He, he, I mean, she is nowhere near that level. To me, Marion felt like a challenge. Felt like somebody that Indy would actually enjoy spending time with. And, you and, know, and, and their I banter... Think- yeah, and I think she she felt like she was his equal. I mean, that's, yeah, that's what it felt. Yep. Mm-hmm. And Kate Capshaw felt like, you know, a, a cream-filled cupcake. Yeah, she was just who, essentially being drug along for the ride because if right. she stayed in wherever they were at, uh, Hong Kong or right. wherever, mm-hmm. she would have died because of the mafia guys. Right. Uh, but So I, it, it felt like she was less of a... Less of a match for Indy. It felt like, and, and to me, the little the family dynamic was nice, but forced. Mm, I yes. felt like if you were going to have that family dynamic, that you know, Karen would have been a stronger choice. But I got to tell you, Short Round when I was a kid annoyed me. Really? But now he, he's really started to grow on me, and I think it's the you know when I was a kid, you always I think hate they have the medicine for that. <laughs> you do that? <laughs> yeah, a little penicillin will clear that right up. Um, I, I got short rounds, Doctor. Well, but I was see, wondering if- this is <laughs> Don't this is the problem. Jones. This is the problem with short round. Is he's Jimmy Olsen, right? I mean, Jimmy Olsen mm. is only introduced in the Superman comics so that kids have somebody that they can identify with, so that they can aspire what? to be Jimmy Olsen. I want to be Superman's pal. Well, mm. I want to be short round. I want to be Indiana Jones's kid sidekick. We're in it for the fortune and glory. I've got all the smarts and the the street smarts that Indiana Jones would have. So therefore, I can identify with that character. And I think whenever you create a character or you create an entire situation, such as the case with with Temple of Doom, where everything is so kid centric, mm-hmm. you know, you're you're targeting for kids. Yes, there are some horrific moments, but it's still a kid movie. I think it was given a PG thirteen rating. It was one of the early films that got a PG thirteen rating. Then I yep. think you. I think you lose something there. Hmm. You know, Star Wars, the first Star Wars movie, is not a kid's movie, right? Right. Episode one and Return of the Jedi are kid uh, movies, yeah. right? I would agree with that. Okay. And that's, I, that's the thing I think is the problem with, with Temple of Doom. Well, and it's not just that he's he's not Jimmy Olsen. He's Robin the Boy hostage. Well, yeah, whatever, whatever you know, put your kid sidekick in. I can identify right. with that person. Therefore, I can be cool. Now, whenever but, but we it, played out in the playground, well, Temple of Doom would have been a little bit older for me to play out in the playground. But you never saw any <laughs> kid going, I want to be short round. <laughs> no, 
It was all, I want to be Indy, and that one kid going, I want to be Kate Capshaw. <laughs> but, I'm just saying. You have to be I the can't. bad guy. No. Well, whose heart do I get to around. rip out? Yeah. Do you have any special uh, moments from Temple of Doom you want to share, Matthew? Any trivia, any side information? Playing the video game in the arcades when I was a kid for I, I, I will just have random moments where I will hear Mola Ram and he will be like Kalima Shakti Day and it's it just pops out in my, into my head for no reason and then I'm sure it gives a, you a good reason to scare your kid exactly <laughs> my kid's not scared of that I was and then, of course it's one of the best really to me the best moment of Temple of Doom is when when Randall's walking in front of the video store and the angry man goes by and Randall says no time for love Dr. Jones <laughs> That's got to be one of the best lines. You know, I couldn't tell you what any of the other lines were. I mean, bugs and monkey brains and uh that great scene on the uh on the uh, suspension bridge when it gets cut and that final fight scene them you know, that's got to be the one of the most memorable lines of that movie. No time for love, Doctor Jones. Yeah, because because of, of course he's not really feeling her up. He's trying right, to get right. the antidote. Right, right, right. And you know, but it's not it's not high on my list. And apparently, it's I mean, it is high on my list, but it's not you know the best movie. Mm-hmm. But apparently, a lot of people out there in internet land and honestly, hate this I, movie. I, I think what it is, it is the combination of not a great leading lady and a leading lady that some people find annoying, and a yeah. kid sidekick, which some people on principle disagree Hate. with right right yeah which, i would agree with that I, I would say that of the indiana jones movies this is definitely the second one <laughs> yeah <laughs> you're right it is which brings us to movie number three kind of wrapping up the uh, the first trilogy of the film and you'd have to look on the imdb matthew and find out which came first last crusade or the young, young indiana jones chronicles but last crusade was kind of supposed to be i believe at the time this Farewell to this aging hero mm-hmm. uh, takes place in 1938. Uh, this time, he's Indiana Jones is after another religious artifact because his father's been kidnapped. Of course, you've got Nazis, and everybody hates Nazis. Uh, this time, you're going after the Holy Grail, and of course, uh, the Last Crusade is a you know a homage to that to that tale. You're bringing back a lot of the old characters that everyone loved from the first film. You've got Marcus Brody, who's there for comedic relief which i think that was a problem that i had with with this film is that in the first film marcus brody's there momentarily but he's not there for comedic relief right this one he's played up as the fool and then in the fourth film in crystal skull he's kind of treated as this revered wise man Hmm. uh and then you've got indiana jones's father sean connery we call it the dog indiana uh you know um who's this kind of a doddering old man almost Mm -hmm. and you know the the evil again Nazis, but the the Nazi scientist woman. I mean, she's okay, but you know, there's not a single moment in this film that I enjoyed. No, that, no. that you're like, oh crap, that's Indiana Jones. I'll tell you what, I didn't. Okay, I'll tell you one one thing that was mm-hmm. good. The very first part with uh, River Phoenix mm-hmm. uh, playing young was- Indiana Jones of the the twelve year old Indiana Jones in the uh, as he was this. Um, you know, they're trying to put all the mythos of who Indiana Jones was into this one scene where he gets the hat from the bad guy. Mm-hmm. He gets that scar on his chin from the the whip, his first attempt at the whip. Uh, maybe this is where he gets his fear of snakes when he falls into the circus train snake thing. But beyond that, there's not a whole lot in this movie that I like. Honestly, that's what I didn't like about uh, Last Crusade. I was like, so you're telling me in this 10-minute adventure, 
Indiana Jones became Indiana Jones and something that wasn't resolved for like 20 more years. I mean, it's like he it's like, OK, what makes Indiana Jones? He has a hat. He has a whip. He hates, he hates snakes. snakes. Yeah. So in this one adventure, he gets a hat, he gets a whip and he falls into a tank of snakes. And it's like, OK, well, you just took a three dimensional character and ran him through a video game scene. Right. And now that's what it's, makes Indiana Jones. Yeah. yeah. And, and I, I didn't that like was, that. But uh, that is the best part of the whole movie. <laughs> <laughs> you know, it's not the penitent man shall pay. It's not that whole stuff that takes place in the uh, in the in the in the uh, Crusade Temple. I think I think the trials in the cave are cool. I think you yeah. know every like you get the clue, you get a chance as a, as a viewer to kind of figure it out. It's like okay, okay, now you're you're along with the characters. Like okay, what does the penitent man do? What does he, he do? He what does kneels. Penitent man. Penitent man. Penitent man. Penitent man. You know, over and over again. So it, you know, I I was in I was into that into yeah. that whole thing, and I remember I did see that part, and that's the part that stuck with me because as a kid I think I saw it, but mm-hmm. I didn't remember anything. Right. Generally, for a lack of robots and dinosaurs. Right. But the trials of the cave—that's what stuck with me. Right. I mean, yeah. and that, I mean, it's good. I mean, there's this puzzle that you have to figure out, and I think that's a certain big aspect of who Indiana Jones is. How do you figure out these clues, and how do you apply them? Mm-hmm. But I don't know. Uh, Matthew? I, I actually like this one better than Temple of Doom because – and I know that for all intents and purposes, you said it yourself. This is this is kind of like an updated version of a universal serial. So there's a lot going on and it's kind of like, a, oh, no, how will he get out of this? But to me, this one had the most real insight into Indy as a character. It had you know the, the moments where we really saw – what his life as a professor was like, and it kind of underlined the whole dichotomy of he's this thinking man, this laid-back kind of you know slick-back professor who's very uptight, and then sometimes he takes out his hat and his jacket and just un- you know unleashes the person that he really wants to be, and it, to me it obviously sets up the fact that he's happy in both worlds, and both worlds would naturally be you know kind of. He'd look at his other life and go, I don't need that. I don't need the adventure. Or that's boring. That's dull. And yet he does both and switches back and forth. You know, it makes Indy to me seem very complex and, and very cool. And of course, the best moment to me of this whole movie, no ticket. Yep. Yeah, that's great. Yep. What part Chuck is that? Off, I'm, I'm so that does not even come yeah, up on my radar. He they're, goes they're on the they're on the Graf Zeppelin. And oh, yeah, 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 the, yeah. That's shucks right. the guy out of the back yeah, yeah. of the Zeppelin, turns And then everybody the... whips out their tickets, <laughs> yeah. yeah. Okay. Yep. Took me a few moments because... Another, another thing that's been that's been spoofed a lot, I think in Dogma, uh, there's this yeah. fight where, like, Silent Bob is trying to kick somebody out of a train, and he chucks the guy out of a train, and the only line that Silent Bob has that whole movie turns around, and he's like, no ticket. Ah, ticket. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. It. The, See, it's another, it's the another one rep- nice thing about this film that I will say is it's a good father-son film. And I did go to the movies twice with my dad uh, to see this. This is like, oh, probably a month or two after I graduated high school when the movie came out or maybe within a weekend or two of graduation. My dad and I went and saw it. My dad was really tired that day and he fell asleep in the about halfway <laughs> through. But we went again and we saw it the next weekend and he stayed awake and he enjoyed it. But I mean, my dad falling asleep when it's a father-son moment and Indiana Jones and, and Sean Connery or Sean Connery are having an, a father-son moment. I think that's what makes this film something special and which still sticks in my mind. Mm-hmm. Still yep. not my favorite film of the whole thing. 
Well, and the thing that, that cracked me up is that I think at this point in time, Sean Connery was like eight years older than Harrison Ford. Yeah. <laughs> which shows exactly how, much older how is he now? Badly. <laughs> I'm going to say nine. <laughs> but it's one of those things. It shows the real manliness of the Jones family stock and that he went out at eight and he found himself a woman and got a job with a car and a <laughs> cigar. Well, probably one of the things that Rodrigo pointed out then is that you know, you can't encompass everything that happened to Indiana Jones in this one 10 minute sequence. And that's how Indiana Jones became Indiana Jones. Mm -hmm, right. And that's probably what Lucas was thinking. Plus, he probably saw dollar signs and uh, he wanted a way to experiment with uh, nonlinear editing. He also wanted to experiment with some special effects, cheap special effects at the time, such as uh, cheap matte painting and how you could uh, create virtual sets and everything out of nothing mm -hmm. uh, for television series. And so uh, they came up with the Young Indiana Jones Chronicles or the Young Indiana right. Jones stories uh, that Which ran did on come I, out after after Last Crusade. Correct, almost three years later. Okay, so. The thing that it was kind of problematic, I think, for a lot of people, it was actually split between two different stories. You had the tales of eight-year-old Indiana Jones traveling the world with his father, not played by Sean Connery, or really anybody that kind of looked like Sean Connery, uh, <laughs> traveling the world and... Did uh, he still have an inexplicable Scottish accent? No. Uh, but he did have a nanny, an old nanny, who was very worldly, and he did meet up with worldly characters. Mm -hmm. um, and those stories were kind of boring to me. Mm -hmm. uh, but the ones that I think a lot of people found more exciting was the teenage 17-year-old Indiana Jones stories, where Indiana Jones decides he wants to fight in World War One. He signs up with the Belgian Army because he can get in at 17. And he has all of these adventures uh, throughout the world as a young man learning about archaeology, learning about world events and, and dealing with people. Hmm. Uh, there's a reference in the Kingdom of the Crystal Skulls where he meets up with Pancho Villa. And I do believe that there was an episode that took place in Mexico where he did meet up with that character. Hmm. And so it's like, oh, this is this is very cool how they're kind of tying some things together. Um, I believe it only lasted two seasons. I think there was a third season planned. Uh, but I think the big problem was that people just never, never got the idea of what this week we're with young kid and the next week we're with the older kid. And mm -hmm. they did this, uh, Indiana Jones and the mystery of the blues or the secret of the blues that actually had an old Harrison Ford, an old Indiana Jones character, uh, in his fifties come in and tell the tale of, of, uh, the secret of the blues or whatever it was. And, mm -hmm. uh, that was kind of a gimmick. Uh, they also had what was interesting is, the stories were told by a very, very, very old man who was probably a hundred or something. Wore glasses, had an eye patch. That was supposed to be Indiana Jones as an old man sitting mm -hmm. in a museum recount recounting his tales to uh, people that would walk by. And that was kind of the gimmick of, well, here's what happened back in such and such a day and time. 1918. Yeah. And so I, you know, I enjoyed the series for what it was. It, I don't have it in my DVD collection. I probably won't. Mm -hmm. um, but there were some very cool things that Lucas was trying to do in that series. Do you remember that series, uh, Matthew? I do, and I liked parts of it. I had the same problem you did with some of the early episodes being too educational and trying yes. really hard yes. to tie into like, and here's what happened with Winston Churchill. But I, I liked bits and pieces of it, and I really liked the anthology nature of it because it felt like, what it, you would 
it felt like an old man telling you stories about his life and you jump a year or two here and then something interesting happened and then I spent, you know, 57 years in the toilet or whatever. Right. You'd have that at, at being an anthology, you could just pick and choose a time and a and a place where it'd be interesting. Mm-hmm. But I had the same problem with this series that you did with the first five or ten minutes of uh, Last Crusade when they did Indy's Origin. There was so much of it that was tied into that fan fiction aspect of we must answer this question and mm-hmm. how this came to be. Well, the whole fact that Indiana Jones had his hand in every major historical event <laughs> yeah. since the 1900s. I, well, and he's he's an old man. He might have been lying. True, and and there were some scenes where I think in the very first episode he's telling these two young kids at the museum, and by the end of this end of the show, uh, the two kids are like, "Oh, old man, you're just crazy talking." Some something that I've 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 come to call the uh, Forrest Gump phenomenon. Yes, is probably. Exactly. Um, but this is before Forrest. Yeah, Gump. Yeah, I know it might be the young Indiana Jones phenomenon yeah. actually. Yeah, which brings like- us. To Kingdom of the Crystal Skulls. And mm-hmm. neither Matthew nor Rodrigo. Yeah, good night, Stephen. I'll, I'll talk to you later. <laughs> <laughs> took the time to go see the movie in theaters this week. And busy. that's okay. He's busy. Everybody's busy. I understand this. I really like this movie a lot. Now, uh, this is another film. Like I said, George Lucas said this is going to polarize a lot of people. Some people are going to hate it. Some people are going to love it. A lot of people are upset because the idea of the crystal skull as an alien device and that aliens help build this uh, Mayan or Aztecian or Incan civilization is just way beyond people. Mm-hmm. However, if you read about the Mitchell Hedges skull, if you read about crystal skulls and the myth behind these real objects uh, that are out there, a lot of people say these are so precise and they're so accurate, they have to be a result of some kind of alien technology. Mm -hmm. So everything that surrounds the crystal skulls in modern day history or research or whatever you want to call it, fantasy, all are surround some kind of alien presence. Mm -hmm. And so I totally buy that in the movie. Okay. That doesn't bother me at all. Things that do bother me about this movie, Shia, (laughs) Shia LaDoof. He bothers me a great deal. (laughs) Not because first of all, he's a bad actor. Although he did not say, no, 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 once during the movie, although every other we watched uh, Disturbia the other night, and he did it there. He did it in the uh, Transformers movie a half a million times. <laughs> he didn't do it in this movie, and maybe Spielberg was reining him in. I didn't like uh, Shia LaBeouf. I didn't like him rolling up trying to be Marlon Brando, and mm. you've all seen that in the trailer where he comes out on the motorcycle. Just totally hate that. Um you know, the story takes place after the war. I mean, this is a tale that takes place 20 years after the Last Crusade, and both Indiana Jones and Harrison Ford have aged. And I think the biggest problem with Indiana Jones 4, and if you use the Roman numerals IV, you're wondering, is this movie going to be on life support <laughs> the entire time? And i got to say, it's not. Indiana Jones is aged. He's still a very well-respected professor. Uh, he went through the war and did a lot of things during the war. Uh, and the movie starts out where he's kidnapped by Russians and taken to Area 51, uh, because they're looking for an object that Harrison Ford, or I'm sorry, Indiana Jones, inspected as an archaeologist back in 1947 Roswell. Well, what happened in 1947 Roswell? Uh, you know, the Roswell crash, the alien, supposedly a- alien spacecraft crashing. And these Russians are looking for it because there's something about this uh, device or this object that, that, that they want. 
And of course, you've seen it in the trailer, the whip scene and the fight scene in the warehouse. Uh, it's revealed that Area 51 is the place at the end of the first movie where they took the Ark. Because as Indiana Jones is escaping, a uh, truck hits one of the boxes and we see this partial glimpse of the Ark inside, which is cool. Mm-hmm. I did like that. Uh, but then Indiana discovers, uh, oh, this is the other problem that bothers a lot of people. As he's making his escape out in the middle of the desert, he finds himself in this little town and he goes in and he's trying to uh, find some people to help him. The problem is all the people are dummies. And this happens to be Doomtown. Mm-hmm. And in five minutes, there's going to be a nuclear test. A detonation. And if you've seen those old films, the old uh, early test films where the buildings are just blowing apart in the nuclear blast, they recreated that so well with special effects in this in this movie. Mm -hmm. But Indiana Jones saves himself and again, major spoilers here by climbing into a lead lined refrigerator and the blast, the shockwave hurls him way out several miles away and he escapes unharmed. And a lot of people say, wait a minute, that's so unbelievable. Well, okay, first of all, they did set it up that it was lead-lined refrigerator. Mm-hmm. They did set it up that, you know, he did climb inside, so he should be safe. So, yes, with every Indiana Jones movie, you have to suspend some your disbelief a little bit. Here, here's here's what I think is the issue. Because now you're, you're kind of pitting your suspension of disbelief against itself. You're kind of pitting fiction against fiction. There's this thing, um, you know... In every movie that involves it, including like Aliens, uh, I think Aliens 2 or something like that, it's like, uh, just nuke the site from orbit. A nuke kills everything. That's that's what it does. Modern then, day nukes, but not a 1950s early nuke. You I, know, I, it I, was... think, I think that's what it is. I think people can't get around the fact that a nuke is always the ultimate option. Right. It's always that last resort because it would obliterate everything. But and it the doesn't. Fact that I know that. You know that. Matthew knows that. Exactly. My my question is this. By what conversation does it come up that, oh, by the way, all of my appliances are fully lined with lead? Well, there was this thing where he's looking for a place to hide and he opens up the refrigerator and he says, I'm, you know, essentially in his head, he says, I'm climbing in here. He pulls out all the shelving, all the food and everything that's in there. And as the door is closing, closing, you see along the edge, it says new tech, you know, this new technology it's, you know, like a refrigerator manufacturer would put on there. Uh, completely lead-lined for, you know, fresher whatever. Yeah. Okay. For it's, maximum it, lead poisoning. Well, yeah. <laughs> and obviously in the 1950s, we didn't think things about the lead paint and all those kinds of things. Um, the part, the other part that I really hate is there's, what I loved about Raiders of the Lost Ark is all the effects were practical effects. Even the ghosts at the end were either puppets that they put into water and they were filming this and then they layered it on top of one another. It wasn't a computer graphic. Mm -hmm. They really relied a lot on computer graphics in Kingdom of the Crystal Skull and I had a real problem with that. You know, the movie starts off with this awful CG gopher and the CG gophers pop up multiple times throughout the movie. Awful. Not needed. There's a scene where Shia LaBeouf uh, is fighting these Russians on two jeeps as they're going through the jungle. And if you look really closely, it is apparent that this is a either a digital Shia LaBeouf head stuck on some other actor's body, or it's a really bad model job because mm-hmm. it looks totally fake. Now, on the plus side, Shia LaBeouf gets hit in the nuts a lot by vegetation. <laughs> so I mean, you, really, you really don't like this guy, do I you? I do not like him very much. I thought uh, he, was, he was all right in even Stevens back on the Disney okay, Channel. Okay, <laughs> maybe that's where he was all right. <laughs> and that is the last place that he was all right, Rodrigo. <laughs> the other thing that, that I like is there was some very good chase scenes. There's a, ch- a chase scene where they're running, riding through the university 
Unfortunately, Indiana Jones is on the bitch seat of Shia LaBeouf's motorcycle, Mm -hmm. but they're trying to get away from these uh, Russians. And there's this great chase scene that I don't know if Harrison Ford did his own stunt acting in or not. Very well done. I I like that a lot. Um, But there seems to be. Oh, there's another awful part with Shia LaBeouf. Sword fight. (laughs) Yeah, he's doing a sword fight, fight. which is kind of cool. It's yeah. Rodrigo's read all the comments, uh, but there's this really cool scene where he's he's fighting with the swords, which is kind of neat, and I like it, and I understand why it's there. Um, it's obvious that Indiana Jones is too old to do these kinds of fight scenes himself, so we have to hand it off to a younger person, Mutt Williams of all names. Good lord, nice. who just so happens to be Indiana Jones's a son, as we discover. Uh, but he gets tangled up in some vines, and he gets swung up into the into the trees, and then he's all of a sudden confronted by these CGI monkeys. And the next thing you know, he's swinging from vine to vine to catch up with everyone, just like in Tarzan. Awful. Not needed. Mm. Killer ants. There's some killer army jungle ants. Awesome scene. Uh, discovering the kingdom of the crystal skull is this alien, you know, the, the crystal skull is this actual alien skull. Really good. Uh, I like all that stuff. Um, let's see, uh, what do I have here? Um, I did try to do a lot of comparison between the first movie, uh, the first three movies in this one. And I saw that, you know, Raiders was pretty scary, had some good scary moments. There were some good scary moments in this film as well. Probably not as as good. Uh, Everything was very kitted down, in my opinion. And for whatever reason, and I don't know, I know this was written by George Lucas, directed by Steven Spielberg, but there seemed to be a moment in the first probably half of the movie seemed very Steven Spielberg directed. Mm -hmm. Okay, It seemed just like he would have directed a film. The last half of the movie, while the story was still solid and still going on the right path, Seems like he just turned it over to George Lucas, who said, we're doing everything green screen, and we're going to have virtual everything, and look at that blue screen over there. That's a jungle. Jar Jar Bing shows up for about 10 minutes. Who knows? He probably <laughs> could have been in the background somewhere. Yeah. But, I, you know, the last half felt like that there was a whole split in directing. I, I really, really was... Not disappointed in this film. I liked it. It was enjoyable. It was fun. There are some, certainly some technical issues that I have. The other issue that I think a lot of people have with this movie is that, well, Indiana Jones is all about these historical artifacts, not aliens and spacemen. Okay, well, let's talk – a moment ago, Rodrigo, when we were talking about the first film, you were talking about everything about was good in pulp from the 20s and 30s was mm-hmm. in Raiders of the Lost Ark. Well, let's jump forward to the 1950s. What have those pulp novels become? They've become all about space. They've been talking all about oh. space. We have, by the end of World War II, we have essentially discovered everything that needs to be discovered on Mm -hmm. planet Earth, right? We've been everywhere because of the Great War. Now, as we look at the atomic age, we start to look outward and into space. And so we get these ideas of aliens and those kinds of things happening in the the movie. Um, And I think that's what they're trying to do here. There is an ancient artifact. The crystal skull is hundreds of years old, Mm -hmm. if not a thousand years old, depending on how they talk about the ancient civilization. They tie in the Nazca lines. They tie in these ancient lost cities in the Amazon. They do tie in this idea of crystal skulls, which are real objects. They do tie in these lost civilizations. So there is a lot of archaeology going on, Mm -hmm. but they are blending it with this idea of space. And I don't know. I think also I think Steven Spielberg is trying to tell us something with aliens. He did it in uh, E.T., Close Encounters of the Third Kind. He did it for that sci-fi series. Um, he's just trying to tell us something about aliens, I, I have a feeling. I know that sounds weird, but I just think he's trying to do well, that. Well, tell me this. Hey. Uh, as you were watching the movie, yes. did 
did you feel that transition of we're going to take it from pulp serials to strange tales of space adventure? Did you feel that transition? Because that's when people were, you know, I started reading the comments and it's right. for me, you know, aliens. Um, I was like, okay, well, this is taking place at the beginning of the Cold War, right? Right, right. So, 1957. Right. So that's what they're going to do. They're going to say, Indiana Jones, you are too old. You're all about these relics. Right. And now the world is moving into the next fantastic right. thing. Um, did, you feel, did you feel that transition while you were watching the movie? I, if that transition is not there, I think that's why people don't like it. Well, I th- I think if those transitions are there, they're subtle. Mm-hmm. They're not spelled out. Yes, there's some references to Indiana Jones being old. But, you know, the movie starts off with an atomic blast almost, mm-hmm. right? I mean, that's real early in the movie. You're talking about Area 51 and space aliens. You're talking about all these – well, I mean, there's not a direct transition. But you, I certainly get the feeling that we are not in the – the 1930s anymore and mm-hmm. there's this great bit at the beginning and i have to go back i really want to see this there's this bit at the very very beginning it opens not with indiana on an archaeological dig but it opens up with these teenagers in these 50 hot rods driving down the interstate trying to uh, have uh, fun with these military guys and there's this scene and, and it kind of reminded me a lot of american graffiti mm-hmm. and i could swear that driver in one of those cars was an old digital composite of harrison ford as he was in American Graffiti. Oh, crazy. I would have to go back and look at that. I, I just that's caught it, cool. and I was like, whoa, that's kind of cool. So, One of the things I think you, you touched on it earlier is that with the, with the whole pulp thing, it, it kind of feels from the description like they tried to throw everything but the kitchen sink into there and get you know as many references to the pop culture and to the, you know, the, the signs of the times that would say, yep, this sure is the 50s. Now we have the atomic scare and here's some flying yeah, saucer aliens and here's but that's Marlon all Brando the things the that were That's all the things that were going on in that time, just like in uh, Last Crusade when they're going to Nazi Germany to recover the some shroud or whatever that they were trying to get. Well, and there's okay. book burnings and there's Hitler showing up and Hitler signs. And misspelling his own name. Well, I mean, there's all these things that are saying, yes, we are in 1938 Nazi Germany. Yes, we are in 1936 Peru. Yes, we are in 1932 India. I, I think there is kind of a difference, though. I think um, in... Uh, Last Crusade, you got, or sorry, um, yeah, Last Crusade, you, you know, you got all this stuff and you're like, okay, here are the Nazis, but you don't see all this crazy Nazi stuff until you get to like Berlin. Yeah, yeah, yeah right. Um, the, you know, I, I'm guessing you guys have seen The Wedding Singer. Yeah. Every 10 <laughs> seconds in that movie, there's an 80 song playing. Right. Somebody's watching Billy Idol on TV. It's like they're grabbing you by the back of the head and slamming you against but the, your Formica orange <laughs> table saying, this is the 80s. But that's this the whole point. This is the 80s. If you were in the 80s or if you were in 1957, these are the things you would be seeing. These are the things that you would be experiencing. <laughs> these are the things that would be around you, whether you took notice of them or not. I guess so. I mean that's I'm just to counter argue. I mean, yeah, you, you're certainly valid on your on your idea. I'm giving. There's certainly a moment where it seems like they are setting up Shia LaBeouf to be the next Indiana Jones, and at that point Ooh. in the movie, that point in the movie, I was like, no, 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 no. <laughs> Fortunately, they didn't let it pass, but you still get the idea that you know you're going to see Mutt Williams and the Legend of the Sasquatch as the next sequel, and mm-hmm. I just do that not want that to happen. Terrible name. Well, it is, because that's the name that he chose for himself. Uh, I'm giving this movie three and a half or four stars out of five. I thought it was a solid film. It's very enjoyable. It's a good summer flick. 
it certainly falls, whether you agree with me or not, it falls within that mythos of who Indiana Jones mm-hmm. is in relation to the whole time frame from 1908 when he was a little kid climbing the pyramids to hanging out with Pancho Villa to hanging out with, you know, World War One and being involved in everything there, being involved in every moment of history. It makes sense that he would be involved in this part of history as well. Mm-hmm. There you go. What was your question, I'm gonna I'm going to give the trailers three and a half out of five stars. <laughs> okay. I felt that whoever chopped them up really chopped them up with the feeling of making me think, hey, this sure is chopped up bits of a movie. And it makes me think that there's probably a whole movie to be seen somewhere out there. And I think that's the whole point of a trailer. Well, Matthew, let me say this. Since you and I grew up at a time where we saw Raiders of the Lost Ark from when it was first introduced all the way through now, I think that you would... If you enjoyed Last Crusade, and if you mm-hmm. mildly enjoyed Temple of Doom, then mm-hmm. you would enjoy Crystal Skull. Mm-hmm. I did not hate Temple of Doom. I would not say that it is my friend, but I really enjoyed Last Crusade. And it may be partly just the Sean Connery portion of the program. Well, Sean like. Connery is dead. They do make note that oh. uh, both Marcus well, thanks Brody. Thanks for just throwing rain on my parade. They there, do. Steve. They do. They do point out that m- both Marcus Brody and uh, Henry Jones Sr. are both dead in this movie. Mm. Russell, we apologize for all the things <laughs> that we have done. Hey, the name of the sh- you know somebody pointed out last uh, last week that uh, that uh, the name of the podcast is Major Spoilers and the site is Major Spoilers, so don't feel bad about trying to censor things. You know, we give that warning up front. So, Russell, if you made it this far into the show, then uh, welcome aboard. Well, we love you, Russell, and remember the major spoilers tip jar. Yeah. <laughs> uh, well, you're, lucky, you're lucky he doesn't sue us. I know. Stop, stop giving Russell ideas. I got it. Yeah. Okay. Speaking, speaking of the folks at home, uh, we have we have some reader reactions. Yeah, why don't you move. kick us off? Why don't you guys kick through these since I'm uh, tired of talking since, for the last hour? Since you've been talking for like 47 minutes. Sorry. Uh, <laughs> uh, <laughs> loyal contributor and spoiler at Stacy B says, I think it's interesting to see how many of the critics' reviews and opinions have changed from what they initially were. Uh, Stacy says that previously, last Friday, one of the reviews was showing no stars at all. The review was mean, vague, and not flattering. But now it's been repeated with a four-star rating. The original average was about two and a half. Now it's almost three and a half. And he's thinking that you know, people are either warming up to it or George Lucas is throwing some money around. I don't know. Um, Stacy also relates that uh, one of his friends went and saw it this weekend. He asked how it was, and the friend said, I wish I'd gone and seen Iron Man again. Yeah. Um, <laughs> Stacy's waiting for the DVD, and I, I actually may be waiting for it to show up on cable, depending on how things go in the next couple of weeks. I'll probably get it on netflix eventually um hermit said um i just came back from the theater and was late to work because of it so uh, you know you, you gotta get to work hermit that's dedication hermit that's yeah, right there we, man. we appreciate I it i have to say i'm a little disappointed i just felt the whole alien angle was not in the mindset of indiana jones and the ending when the flying saucers fly away was a bit too much it didn't actually fly away <laughs> i should point that out it actually goes into another dimension all right all right they were not aliens they were interdimensional travelers i was fine until that moment spielberg should have ended the movie with some weird human meltdown like in the raiders of the lost Ark. now i should say that 
the Kate Blanchett character, her her mind does catch on fire because she's given a lot of information, and there is that very direct scene where her flames are shooting out of her eyeballs, which nice. do come from that melting sequence. The uh, right. the whole movie felt like uh, they were trying too hard on the technical side. I didn't like the lighting of the movie. Ray Winston's character is underused and felt useless. Shia LaBeouf should die. I hate the guy. <laughs> they better not make him next Indiana Jones. It was nice to see Karen Allen back. John Hurt barely have a role. Kate Blanchett is not the villain we were used to in the other movies maybe i was expecting too much but don't get me wrong it's not an it's not episode three bad it's just not good 2.5 out of 5 for me because there are some nice action sequences should i give away some more yeah uh karen allen uh is back she is mutt's mother and uh indiana jones uh is uh, mutt's father and Mm. they do get married at the end in a very nice little ceremony oh that's cool that's nice can i just say that i love karen allen and have always loved karen allen mostly because of marion ravenwood uh, because um, of that or because of uh, Animal House? I liked her from Animal eh, House. Either way, I think she's one of those actresses who you know brings a real humanity and love and uh, kind of a sort of um, – what's the word I'm looking for? Um, I'm going to marry Sass. her someday sort oh. of field everything. Oh. <laughs> you know, I'm not stalking her as far as you know. I, um, I, thought, she was, I thought she was great in um... – <laughs> In the first in, one, in the first one, and I was—I remember watching. It, I was like, "She is so interesting to watch." I mean, she's pretty. She's not conventionally pretty, but right. I was just like right. totally drawn to her she, right. from the she first is the second. Opposite she, is, of, she is total opposite of Kate Capshaw's yeah. character. But she's and there's she's a great line. In a way. There's this great line where they're caught and they're talking about uh, their breakup after you know, like I guess the day before they were supposed to get married. Mm. And uh, Marion says, "Well, how many other women have there been?" And he goes, "There's been a lot of women." And then he says. But none of them have been you. And then she knows, oh, he's oh, in love with me. Oh, that's sweet. And that's true <laughs> for us, the fans, as well. Yeah. That's right. From those kind words, though, we have to go to some not-so-kind words from, uh, spoiler right, Robert, who said, and I quote, I saw Indiana Jones in the Kingdom of the Crystal Skull today. It was a travesty. Uh, he goes on to list the reasons. Uh, the same complaint that Stephen had, that first frame, the CGI groundhog. Oh, go for- awful. Knew it was going to be terrible. Uh, he points out that all the other films start out with a short story about Indy collecting an artifact, which kind of introduces a character or sets up the story. This time, the opening story has Indy as a spy getting blowed up in the first atomic test. Uh, that's not how Robert says the Indiana Jones formula works. And I, I can I kind of see that point. Mm-hmm. Um Point three, Indy's blown up, stops to admire the mushroom cloud, then walks away and more CGI groundhogs. I think the CGI groundhogs are actually on a par with the hatred for Shia La Shia Shia, Shia La Doof La Doof kid. Uh, <laughs> I, I, I think CGI groundhogs are going to go down in history as uh, right up there with Ewoks and Jar Jar Binks. And I, I probably agree with you. Uh, point Rito four in first. Indiana Jones was involved in the alien autopsy, the famous alien autopsy in Roswell in the past, and the Russians want the alien corpses. Quote. Yes, that's right. Aliens. Uh, point five, the university scenes were good, especially the the chase. People seem to like Shia LaBeouf getting hit in the nards, and I think that's important. Uh, Shia LaBeouf, not a convincing greaser. Another CGI speeder bike style chase scene, um, which, of course, ended with the whole point where Anakin blew up Russia uh, by accident by pushing a button. <laughs> Something about the the Tarzan swinging through the vines thing, which is also a very 50s motif, if you look at it from the point of view of let's just shotgun as much 50s as we can into a movie. It makes sense. And I will say also, too, remember, 
when the first Raiders of the Lost Ark movie came out, both Spielberg and Lucas said, this is a film that reminds us of our childhood, and mm-hmm. we wanted to take everything that was best from our childhood and put it into this film. Maybe that's what they're doing here. They're taking everything that they remember when they were in high school or, or you know, high school because they would have been uh, getting ready to go to Vietnam and uh, after right. that. But everything that they remember as maybe teenagers and what made life good back then. Who knows? That's I'm not in their heads. I'm not in their heads. And one of the things that, you know, it's important to point out is that when we were that age, we were watching Indiana Jones. Jump jump down to number his point 12 since we don't have time point to do all 13. 12. Aliens, aliens, aliens. Aliens that look like E.T.'s daddy and not space aliens. Interdimensional aliens. And I quote, a freaking flying saucer. Uh, a freaking flying saucer, saucer that kind of looks like the one from the day the Earth stood still. Okay. Ooh. And the other thing that I thought was quite humorous, <laughs> I despise going to movies where there's a lot of kids because they don't shut the hell up. In fact, I was going down run one aisle and I saw that there were some kids sitting behind me and I specifically looked at them and turned around and walked the other way. And I think the parent gave me a dirty look mm-hmm. because kids don't shut up. But I moved several rows up in front and then there were some other kids that came down and sat behind me, but they were with a the parent. They were very well behaved. And then the the youngest kid, which I thought was so hysterical, they reveal the hand that comes out of this crate from Area 51. And the little girl behind me goes, E.T. And I know she was too young to have ever seen that movie when it first ran with the Uh. shotguns. And now she's seen it with the walkie talkies. But I just almost busted out laughing when she made that comparison, not knowing that Spielberg directed both movies. Nice. That's awesome. Uh, Let's jump over to Josh P. All right. Josh P. says, I enjoyed it. It paid homage to even more of the pulp comics story serials it originally drew from. I would even say it goes the planetary route. Everyone loves planetary, right? I don't. <laughs> planetary. <laughs> I well, there you go. There you go. 50-50. Planetary draws its inspiration from the very same sources. The biggest complaint I've heard is the aliens versus mysticism angle. I don't know why doing something different with an established franchise is such a sin. I'm very glad they went for something new instead of the religious artifact. Well, yet again, I think that setting the movie in the Cold War 50s allows them to go with the alien Roswell angle. They will embrace the archaeology aspect of it, but they allow the world of Indiana Jones to grow. Was some of the movie overly cheesy? Yeah, but so were the first three. I will agree with that. There were some certainly elements throughout all of the movies where you have to do some suspension of of belief, right? I mean, you have to suspend belief in order to really believe that some gold coffin is going to melt everyone's face except for those who aren't looking. You really have to believe that these magical stones are really what are the lifeblood and the children are the lifeblood of this village. You really have to believe that some water from a wooden cup is going to save somebody who's been shot by a bullet. Uh, you have to do that to all of them. Yeah. I mean, that's Definitely. every movie. Come on. A long time ago in a galaxy far, far away. Oh, yeah, Absolutely. Or that moment in heavy metal where she miraculously doesn't fall out of her top. Come on. You have to suspend your disbelief. I'm going to read Adams. I'm going to read Adams. He really goes into it. This movie will be the worst movie of the summer. Uh, Speed racer there, Adam. Uh, He says, I'm offended to the deepest region of my souls by this movie. Lucas and Spielberg took all that was great about the Indiana Jones franchise and ruined it. Too much CG, lame Russian bad guys, copying the MO of the Nazis and the aliens. There was an alien on screen in an Indiana Jones movie. WTF! It seemed to me that Lucas took Indy and put him into the Stargate universe. Aliens come to Earth and help build up a primitive society. It's... If that's not a direct ripoff of the background of the first Stargate movie, I don't know what is. Uh, let me remind you, Adam, that 
alien intervention in the creation of uh, of human. Kind is not a Stargate movie it, it, idea. It's, it's been, actually it's been done a lot. Yeah, Eric, and it's also Eric a Van Daniken is on the phone and he wants his concepts <laughs> back. Yes, uh, let's jump down to Shaman or Shaman, Shaman, Shaman. Please, please don't squeeze the Shaman. <laughs> Matthew, take it. I loved it. What a great family film. Just what it was supposed to be. The whole alien part was weird, but this is the world of indie. Anything goes from the Ark to the Death Cult to the Holy Grail. This fits. The only problem that Shaman finds is that they could have had a better bad guy. He felt that the movie lacked a more better adversary. I would agree. And really, I would I would have to say that the same. A lot of things do lack more better adversaries, and that's their weakness. Mm-hmm. Mm. And uh, lastly, um, Maximus Rift says, uh, I enjoyed the movie myself. True, it's a handoff flick, and some of the scenes were over the top, but that's part of an Indiana Jones flick. As for Shia LaBeouf being the new Jones, I'm cool with it. See? Oh, my God. And that, uh, Steven's well, going to disown thing. you, Maximus Rift. <laughs> it should be noted that to Steven, it's very, you know, it, indie is very important and very personal. Whereas to Maximus, maybe it's just an exciting movie and maybe Shia LaBeouf, LaBeouf the, little per, the little punk, can do it. This is going to take us in a completely horrible tangent, but do you guys think that it benefits a film to not have the same actor every time? I mean, we have oh, seen man. thousands You're going of into Batman James territory. Batman, James Bond, well, all of those franchises are still going and will not die when the actor gets too old because we've already had multiple yeah, actors Yeah, but playing I the will roles. point out to James Bond that believing in a particular character actually hurt that film, uh, Never Say Never Again, for example, right. uh, which is not officially canon mm. of the James Bond films, but well, they demand te- technically it's it is Connery. since it's a shot for shot remake of Thunderball, but go on. Is it really? It's 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 the exact same movie as Thunderball oh, if you okay. ever watch them back to back. All right. Well, you know, it's Sean Connery as an old man. Well, no one believes that. No one mm-hmm. got into that film, even though it had uh, Kim Basinger in there. Nobody believed that believed that film. So we jump to Back to, uh, well, who was the one after that? Back to Roger Moore, or was it Timothy Dalton in the next film? I believe I Roger be, did one after that, and then it was Dalton. I, I think there's something to be said about having the same character play in that role. But I've said it again the same way with Batman. Sometimes actors, well, really any comic book movie adaptation, is at some point the actors get too old to play the part. Mm-hmm. Fans have a an interest now in um, Robert Downey Jr. playing Tony Stark. And if they tried to slip somebody else in, people would be having a fit yeah. over that. Uh, in but this when- case, with Indiana Jones, I think Harrison Ford made it work. I think if in the second movie you tried to drop in uh, Tom Selleck, I think people probably would have said, eh, okay, whatever. And the movie franchise probably would have disappeared. But I think Harrison Ford remaining in it all these years really mm-hmm. helped it. And there's also the the comparison to be made that Batman was around for 10, 15 years before he ever made it to screen. So right. even you know if you if you look at, at Michael Keaton to Val Kilmer to whoever that other Schmendrick was, you've got you've got the point where Batman had been around for decades at that point, and even James Bond was ten or fifteen years old when that first you know when Doctor No was made. Right. Whereas Indi- Indiana Jones did not exist before Harrison Ford stepped on to right. the, the scene. Mm. And that that makes the difference. Indy is Harrison Ford. Batman can be anyone. And I think part of that goes to, like Matthew said, the comic books, where you have all these different artists doing their interpretation of who Batman is Mm -hmm. or who Iron Man is. And you get these different art styles, whether it be Alex Ross or whether it be uh, Jack Kirby. 
You know, yeah. you get a different look. Yeah, the mustache is the same, black hair, wears an iron right. suit. Right. Get that down. It's your own interpretation. So, therefore, any actor could probably fit in that role if mm-hmm. they were good enough. But I, right. I agree with you, uh, Matthew. Uh, we've heard from the panel on the movies. We've heard from you, the listener, about the Crystal Skull. Which brings us to our big question of the week. Dun, 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 this week's question of the week, and I think we've actually answered it ourselves, but I'd like to hear everybody else's opinion. Which of the Indiana Jones movies is your favorite? Um, I myself, and I know Stephen's going to call me a blasphemer, I lean towards Last Crusade because Last Crusade evo- avoids that whole setting up the, the mythos, the whole first film of a, of a trilogy things. Mm-hmm. You get to the point where you can say, hey, you know, here's the story that we're telling. Blasphemer! <laughs> See, there you if go. If I were stuck on a desert island with only one movie to watch for the rest of my life, it would certainly be Raiders of the Lost Ark. Well, that and Jenna Jameson's Greatest Hits. Yeah, I was, I was, I was going to say that's not... I, I would choose... Uh, <laughs> no, I, I won't tell you what I would choose. Um, I, You know, it was, it was a toss-up for me between um, Raiders of the Lost Ark and Temple of Doom, but I think I'll go with Raiders because Temple of Doom in a lot of ways felt kind of coincidental is like they kind of stumble into things a lot and a lot right. of things happen raiders yeah. of the lost ark is just like boom 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 here's why every all this stuff is happening there's a backstory to everything the girl's the best girl let's just go with that yeah and if you want to call me a blasphemer yourself hit up majorspoilers.com you can go ahead and take the poll yourself vote on it even talk it out in our major spoilers forums I was going to check and see exactly yeah, what the votes are right looking now, like. Right now, as of uh, this recording, um, Raiders, Raiders of the Lost Ark is in a big lead with, surprisingly to me, uh, Last Crusade coming in second. See, and I think Last Crusade has a strength that you don't see. 155 people voted, uh, 49% right now saying Raiders, 40% saying Last Crusade, and 5% saying the trailers from Kingdom of the Crystal Skull. <laughs> I, I, I so. think the, uh, the 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 big strength of um, of uh, Last Crusade is the fact that you have Han Solo and uh, Ramirez uh, hanging out together. <laughs> yeah, there you go. There you go. Not 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 James Bond and the guy from American <laughs> Graffiti. Exactly. Yeah, throwing a highlight. Why don't you get that hot rod off of my yard, you little punk? (laughs) (laughs) You you, you can't park it there. (laughs) Which does kind of uh, point, you know, where Sean Connery does get shot. You know, he's an immortal. You know, you got to cut off his head. That's true. Anyway, we did say we were going to (laughs) talk everything. Nerd! (laughs) Nerd! (laughs) We did say we were going to talk everything Indiana Jones, so... What would a major spoilers podcast be without a little bit of comic book talk? Hmm. Uh, Indiana Jones did appear in a lot of comics, whether it be the Marvel adaptations of the movies, which, you know, I have to say Marvel has done an excellent job of movie adaptations. Specifically, uh, I really like the James Bond stuff that they adapted hmm. uh, back in the uh, the late 80s. Um they did do some uh, some Marvel or some uh, Indiana Jones adaptations. And what else, Matthew? You said they also did a, a three issue mini or something. They did. Uh, they did Raiders as a three-issue miniseries, which actually led to Indy as a Marvel licensed title for about I want to say like thirty issues. Wow! Um, it it featured some great uh, artwork on the covers by John Byrne, one of my favorite artists. And um, the uh, to me the stories I remember reading these when I was a kid because I got hosed. Uh, in 1982, I went to subscribe to G.I. Joe, which was the greatest comic in the known universe when you're a 12-year-old boy. 
and I got the next thing down in alphabetical order, which was Indiana mm. Jones. Ah. So for a year, I got to read Indiana Jones. But aside from the fact that occasionally he was, you know, having superhero moments and swinging across the English Channel on his whip, <laughs> it's actually well done stuff. And I, I kind of wish that there was, you know, some way to see it again to collect it. I would like to find these myself because I did not. I knew that there were the movie adaptations, but I didn't know about thirty issue run from Marvel with with yeah. Indiana Jones. I've got to find these. Yeah, brand new stories. That's crazy. I mean, for me, those would be brand new stories. I mean, never have read them. Do they fall into the cheesy mid eighty kind of? Yes and no. For well, again, you got to realize that this is my twenty year old memories talking as well, but. Um, I really like them. One of the things that they kind of fed into, I don't know if you're familiar with uh, the other Lucas project, Star Wars, that they did from Marvel. What's this? It's a Star what? Star huh? Yeah, I actually the, uh, have about the first 20 issues of that of that series. And you remember how they went? I mean, they took the concepts, and this was really before the concept of intellectual property rights right. was a thing. Yeah. Where Marvel was just allowed to kind of, you know, do stuff. Giant you green rabbit. Giant green rabbit. Giant green rabbit. That's what we need. And some um, chick with the white hair and bosoms sticking out everywhere. Exactly. You, They could kind of do what they want. But I remember some of them being very you know, very good and very true to life. Um, I know that people like Howard Chaikin, I believe, had some input on them. And John Byrne and a lot of the real big names at Marvel. I'm showing, according to online sources, we're looking at 34 issues of Indiana Jones wow. for Marvel. I'm going to have to find those. And throw them on your want list. Worst case scenario, you can do a retro review. Yeah, there you go. The ones that I really got into and the ones that I really liked was, you know, it's In the Last Crusade. Young Indiana Jones Chronicles are over. I've got some Jones for some Jones. And Dark Horse comes out with, hey, we're going to be doing these Indiana Jones uh, stories. The first one's going to be in the thing that everybody that I knew that liked Indiana Jones said, oh, I wish they would have done an Atlanta story. And the first series that they came out with was Indiana Jones and the Fate of Atlantis. And they did a whole bunch of others. Uh, the first several stories are now collected in the uh, Indiana Jones omnibus from Dark Horse Comics. It collects uh, Thunder in the Orient, Fate of Atlantis, and uh, Indiana Jones and the Arms of Gold, the first three stories from that. It's collected into a 352-page um, digest version of it, wow. and I got to tell you, when Fate of Atlantis came out, I was down at Gulliver's Comics every couple of weeks, going, "Did that new issue come out yet? Did that new issue come out yet?" And I almost missed missed the third issue, and fortunately, uh, they held it back for me, and I got all four. And oh, man, that was a great story of the time. Yeah. Did you do you remember reading those? Uh, I remember vaguely reading them. The ones that I remember were the the uh, young Indiana Jones comics. Oh yeah, yeah, I've got those two somewhere. Those those didn't do so much for me, but I've I've said it before. I think we've referenced it in previous podcasts. My favorite Indiana Jones story is actually not an Indiana Jones story at all. Oh yes. Uh, wait, wait, before Wars. we maybe, wait, 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 before we get to that. <laughs> I've Batman. got the I've got the Indiana Jones Omnibus Volume One. I'm sure there's going to be more coming out. But I did give um, this to Rodrigo, who's the young pup who probably was still too young to read comics when this series was first introduced. And you sat down and read these these stories. What did mm. you think? Um, I like them. It, the the thing that I thought was interesting about it is that Indiana Jones is a character that is sort of an amalgam of a lot of pulp comics. Yeah. 
kind of things. So he becomes a movie person, and here you are putting him back into comics. And it's funny to see what works and what doesn't. One of the things that I feel doesn't work for me is how verbose comics had to be at that time. Indiana Jones doesn't talk a lot in the movies. He's a man of few words. And here, you know, you have thought balloons saying what he's thinking. He's like snapping back and forward with like the bad guys. And he doesn't even, like if you look at the movies, he doesn't even do that. He's not even a one-liner kind of guy. He's like, at the end of the fight, he puts his hat back on and he says something funny, but he's not Spider-Man. He's not bouncing around, throwing uh, insults around. Yeah, in one page, and I was going back and rereading these when it came out in the omnibus, and I was like, man, some of this is a little bit too cheesy for yeah. what I remember of it. But literally in a page, they fly to Copenhagen, meet an old man. The old man shows them the key to Atlantis, and they walk off and they fly off to uh, where Peru or wherever they're going to. Um it's just so quick. Like you said, the pacing mm. is very quick in this. The other thing that I'm not a big fan of is the covers of all of these stories had artist renditions of Harrison Ford as Indiana Jones. But you look at the pictures and you're like, that sure as heck is not Indiana Jones. <laughs> and and at times, yeah, I was looking at that and it's like, is that is that supposed to be him? And then somebody would refer to him as Indy and then be like, okay. And it's it's almost like... At any given point, there's a chunk of Harrison Ford in there, but the the <laughs> artist that was doing that, and I don't know if it's, mo- I'm guessing it's multiple artists doing yeah. this throughout the run, nobody sat down and said, here's the Harrison Ford lexicon, here is what Indiana Jones, here's the important things about Harrison Ford's face that should be featured in every drawing of Indiana Jones, and then you can make his chin thinner larger whatever but as long as the eye to nose ratio and his lips are the same you're good you know that kind of thing in the, in fact in the whole uh, fate of atlantis he's only wearing his uh hat and leather jacket in the last probably issue or two of the series everything else he's either in some kind of a a suit or something but yes there's nazis in it and it did uh yeah. lead to fate of atlantis the video game but you know, I would say if you're a big indie fan like I am, this omnibus is a great buy. It's digest size, which is really nice. Yeah. Mm-hmm. It's uh, 25 bucks for 18 issues, I think, of comics or 12 issues of comics all bound. It's it's a pretty good buy. I'm giving it certainly a four out of five, a, a good buy recommendation. Uh, but the story that I've been dying to find forever, <laughs> and I just remember seeing it bits and pieces of it uh, when it first came out. I don't know why I don't have the title. I don't know why. I think I saw it in, was it in a comic resources or a comic buyer's guide or something where they had an excerpt of it. But Matthew, tell us what it's all about. Han Solo and Indiana Jones getting to meet. Exactly. I had to actually go and dig it up, but it comes from Star Wars Tales number 19, also available in the collected Star Wars Tales volume 5, for those of you who are looking for it. Steven. I am looking um, for it. It's also on my list next to the Marvel ones. But this is this is the reason why it was so hard for us to find is... It's not an Indiana Jones story. It's actually a story set in the Star Wars universe, which I must remind you takes place long, long ago in a galaxy far, far away. Um, Han Solo and Chewbacca are attacked by the Imperials, and they have to jump to to hyperspeed. They get lost in time, space, and dimension, and they crash on this strange planet. They end up in you know a, a, a giant woods that they think is Endor, the home of the Ewoks. Ah. So as they exit the Millennium Falcon, Han is killed by spears who are thrown by, you know, the natives of the area. And Chewbacca, of course, being longer lived than a normal person, uh, leaves the Millennium Falcon and, and hangs around that area, kind of protecting the the burial or the place where his best friend is dead. 
And eventually, years and years and years later, the reports of this, this beast man in the woods turn into the story of Bigfoot. And, of course, Indiana Jones and Short Round show up to investigate the legend of Bigfoot and end up finding Chewbacca. But Indy finds Han Solo's body, makes a remark about how creepily familiar it is, and then takes off. And but that's think, the end of the issue, right? Right there where he says, there's something odd about this or something. There's something, there's something eerily familiar about this place, and then he takes off. But the, the best part to me is I found this in an online reference, and it very clearly states, and I want to make this clear, that the story is neither canonical for Indiana Jones nor Star Wars. And I just think <laughs> that it's so awesome that George Lucas had to explain that to us. Hey, you know, well, yeah, because there's all these people that are going to say, well, it's obviously clear that Chewbacca was killed in such and such. And, and that's, and and that's, that's what, what I was thinking. You know, people are like, well, no, because Chewbacca dies in the uh, new empire. Blah, yeah, numbers, yeah. Things, <laughs> and, his, and his son, Lobaka, yeah. or whoever has to carry on. And, and Han Solo well, becomes a drunk. Blah, and... blah, 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 bowcaster. <laughs> We're not making all fun of you, Star friends. Wars guy. No, hey, now, Lobaka. you think that that's funny that uh, they're mixing Raiders and Star Wars. All right. Star Raiders. Star, Star Raiders, Raiders, which is actually a pretty good series by itself, drawn by Adam Hughes, I believe, also did a... Uh, so anyway, let's talk Indiana Jones in toys. And because we're on this Star Wars Indiana Jones kick, I want to jump to the Indiana Jones Lego set that Lego is just now putting mm. out, which I think is a fantastic little set, or sets. They've actually got a whole bunch of them. I've got a whole bunch in the uh, Major Spoilers vault. Uh, but they've got all these sets from... Uh, Raiders of the Lost Ark and now Kingdom of the Crystal Skulls, which I haven't bought yet, uh, but I will soon for my son, of course. Um, <laughs> but the one that I pulled out because I wanted to compare the Indiana Jones Lego figure to, you know, before the uh, before Lego got the Indiana Jones franchise, they actually had a series called the Adventurer series, which took place prior to World War II, probably right around 19, I don't know, before the First World War. And this was a great series, a great collection of of, uh, of toys that was as close in 1997 to Raiders of the Lost Ark or Indiana Jones Lego figures that you were going to get. And they went all out with this thing. They took, and it's real funny because uh, in 1997 I was doing some research uh, today and I stumbled across an old post that I posted in 1997. The internet has everything. To an old Lego group where I was talking about this set and I was kind of saying, oh man, this is the closest that we're ever going to have to Indiana Jones. Wouldn't it be cool if the Lego company would put horses in these, camels, guides? Um, what about some Nazis? What about armies that they can fight against? Uh, maybe soon they'll do an Incan Aztec Mayan Empire, or maybe they'll do a Tibetan-Nepal series. Mm -hmm. And guess what? They did both uh, Incan and they did Tibetan-Nepal. They did this uh, Asian theme. It was very cool. The only one they didn't do was Atlantis. But now, comparing that to these Indiana Jones uh, Lego sets, they're very, very similar. And I just so happened to pull out of um, the one set that I opened up was the Ark uh, set that includes Marion and Indiana and some fake snakes and some really cool traps and everything that's in there. But they give you these little stickers to help decorate the set. And there's this one that goes right above the Ark itself. <laughs> and Rodrigo's looking at it now and he just sees it. What's on there? It's so wild. It's 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 like you, you have on from left to right, you have... There's a very Egyptian-looking character just kind of kneeling um, in front of this thing. And the next thing over is is R2-D2. And then right next to him is what 
It's C-3PO. Yeah, and then another uh, Egyptian character. So these are the Lego versions of the Star Wars characters. So even in Lego, George Lucas is saying there's something that connects the Star Wars universe and the Indiana Jones universe. Exactly. Now, the one thing that that I feel necessary to point out is... That that actually is in the movie, and there are people. That's what who I was swear. wondering because I said, they "Okay, I'm going to have to sit. I'm going to have to sit down and watch this." Because when I put that sticker on and saw what it was and started laughing, I'm like, "You know what? I'm going to have to see if this is really in the movie that way." Mm-hmm. Wouldn't that yep. if that's true? Kudos to you, George Lucas. Well, and kudos it, to you. It's um, it's like um, the uh, the Galactic Senate represents or uh, recognizes the representatives from Planet Spielberg. You know, and yeah, uh, yeah. and there's you know, also ET is yeah, also all sitting. Yeah, the ETs yeah. were there. Yeah, or even you know, Prisoner on Cell Block Eleven Thirty Eight. Yes. Um, action figures in. The early 80s, my parents always for Christmas bought me a bunch of Star Wars figures, or I shouldn't say a bunch, five or six Star Wars figures, uh, and maybe a set. Uh, But I really, really, really wanted the Indiana Jones figures at the time, and they were very hard to come by. I finally saw an Indiana Jones set in like a uh, toys, what are the the really cheap toy store that you find in the mall, and it was like uh, going out of business, and I still didn't get it then. Because I was at the age then where you don't play with action figures. Uh, But today they have action figures that are very similar to those from 1980. And there's good renditions of Indiana Jones and Shia LaBeouf and Marion and the sword fighting guy and Nazis and Sala and all that good stuff. Mm -hmm. I pulled the uh, whip action Indy out of the bag so we could play with him. I know. He's no longer pristine. And this is a fun little character. I mean... I guess my problem with action figures, and I really wish they would have done these in the uh, Marvel Legends line, you know, the bigger figure with uh, the joints that can move in all directions and is actually about, what is it, five and a half inches tall as opposed to these two and three quarter or three and three quarter inch tall figures. Mm-hmm. Um, problem with this whip action indie is <laughs> half the time he just launches the whip across the room. Yeah. You have to squeeze his legs together and then his, his right arm flicks out with the whip, but the little cloth whip keeps flying out of his hand. So that's kind of a lame kind of yeah. thing. See, I, I disagree with you on the, I mean, it's, it's nice to have all your action figures sort of be the same so that you can dis- display well? them together. We're, we're just going to say display them together and not uh, plate with them. Um <laughs> But hey, they're um, great comic relief up there on Majorspoilers.com. I I didn't, you know, I I've never really liked the the Marvel um, Legends series because they're so heavily jointed. Yeah, that is kind of a it, problem. It kind of extends the proportion so that their arms are too long and their legs are too long. Um, I really, you know, I, I think a kid playing with an action figure doesn't need it to be absolutely fully posable, and certainly somebody collecting an action figure. You know, he just needs a couple poses that he can put it in. Yeah, but, I mean, for full dynamic bend them, twist them, flip them. I mean, remember G.I. Joe figures? Mm-hmm. They were the exact same way, but the size of these Indiana Jones. And you could twist them into all kinds of shapes. Yeah, but never stand them up. Right, that's true. <laughs> Which is why I wish, and, you know, we can't get this little Indiana to stand up. Uh, well, that seems like a, a different problem altogether if you can't get your little Indiana to stand up. But, you know, these Marvel Legends lines, You're I can get them to stand the up. Right. Yeah. <laughs> I hear a little penicillin. So I'll clear that right up. <laughs> oh, man. I anyway. got short rounds on my little Indiana. <laughs> <laughs> oh, oh boy. That's oh, so bad. Let's edit that out. No, we're keeping that in. But I like the new action figure. I think they're a little small. 
Um, but, you know, overall, if you're a big Indiana fan, this would be a kind of a cool thing mm-hmm. to have. What about Indiana Jones in games? Uh, certainly Pitfall Harry is a direct ripoff mm-hmm. of uh, Indiana Jones, and I remember playing that a lot on the Atari when it first came out. Yeah. And and the game, afterwards they came out with a new game, and I think it came out for Sega Genesis, just Pitfall. Right. Um, and that game was great. Yeah. I remember that game looked like a lot of fun. Played it a little bit. I didn't have the right console for it. Um, but, you know, it... it it might be the best Indiana Jones game that's out there. Well, Tomb Raider. I mean, that is an Indiana Jones game with a with a girl, right? And if you put the right code in, <laughs> and I never had any trouble getting with my Indian. little Indy to stand up at that point. <laughs> no. uh, um, there was also a really popular game, and it came out at a time when I didn't have a computer that was powerful enough to play it. But Indiana Jones and the Fate of Atlantis mm-hmm. was uh, apparently very popular, and it even had a spinoff that you played rodrigo right indiana jones and the in, in the infernal machine i think is what it was called right. the which, infernal machine i remember that one as well mm-hmm. i think my my roommate in college had it for a n64 and it was it was fun and he he was a total completist so he had gone all the way through the game and then had you know when i met him was kind of starting to go back through it and i played it a little bit and i remember like because he was so into it he kept finding all these bugs in the game like you could walk through a wall and then the character would just keep falling forever cool and stuff like that (laughs) so (laughs) we started i started making up names for it like indiana jones in the center of the earth (laughs) and like indiana jones in the uh, polygon dimension oh cool (laughs) Speaking of games, uh, Williamson said, uh, and this is in reference to the image that I've been using all week to promote the podcast, uh, one of my favorite games of all time, Indiana Jones and the Fate of of Atlantis, I'm just going to pretend that Fate of Atlantis was the fourth movie, in fact, why wasn't it? Answer, George Lucas is an egotist who couldn't stand making a movie with a story someone else wrote. That's Mm. his comment. So, uh, I love Fate of Atlantis. Please don't sue us, Mr. Lucas. I would really have liked to have seen, I was really hoping, you know, years ago, even 10 years ago when they were talking about a fourth Indiana Jones movie, I was like, oh, please let it be Fate of Atlantis. Please let it be Fate of Atlantis. Mm -hmm. And then it just went into rewrite hell up until just a few years ago. All right, Matthew, you and I, this is, we're going to leave Rodrigo out of this since uh, he's not old (laughs) enough. Right. Even young whippersnappers. Did you I'm have a, both ways? Okay. Did you have any Indiana Jones clothing? You might remember my fedora from but college. But that wasn't a real Indiana Jones but fedora. That was like a corduroy that, I mean, fedora. It, it, well, I, it, did I have money to afford leather? <laughs> my God, it wasn't even a leather I, fedora. I had like a twelve dollar car, Steve. I could yes. afford an eight dollar hat. Yes. But <laughs> part of the reason that I wore that fedora was simply because of the the sheer cool that you get. You know, that Indiana Jones, the shadow kind of feel from it. Yeah. And I, I, to this day, I always have at least one silly hat that I can break out when I want to, you know, try and get a little bit of that indie. You put on your hat and you dun 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 dun. Yep. Gonna go and pay all my bills now. <laughs> dun, dun, dun. Hey, the water bill's late. Dun, dun, dun. You know, <laughs> even if you're some, you know, some geek in middle America, you've got to have the fedora. 
I, I always wished I could afford a leather jacket, but they don't grow cows my size. So. Yeah, that was my problem, too, not the size of the cows. <laughs> but leather jackets back then were damn expensive. Mm. You know, you're talking five, $600 for a leather jacket like Indiana Jones had. My parents got me a really cool bomber jacket, which mm-hmm. was about as close to Indiana Jones as I could get. I did have yeah. a fedora. They won Christmas. They got me the fedora that I just loved and wore everywhere. You know, it was the brown felt fedora. Mm-hmm. Um, when I was in third grade or fourth grade, grade we went to uh mexico for a family vacation this was before the movie came out and i did get a whip so i did have a whip nice and when i was in high school i uh went to some army navy store or some garage sale or something and found one of those old khaki like army shirts that indiana jones wears and for one whole summer that's the shirt that i wore the whole summer i was just like oh i love this shirt so much Uh, of course i did wash it but right Liar. So, yes, I did have uh, I did have some Indiana Jones clothing. Um, I guess before we end the show, now that we've gone hmm, a little bit longer than we probably should have, but then again, uh, a couple people commented the last week that two hours should be the minimum for this show. So you just mm-hmm. might get your wish this week. Yeah, that's right. And if you've made it this far, it's time for us to give a little something back to you. When the Indiana Indiana Jones. When the Indiana Jones box set came out on DVD, for some reason, I pre-ordered it and then forgot I pre-ordered it and then ordered it when it came out. Hmm. So I actually have two copies of the complete Indiana Jones box set widescreen edition DVD that includes Raiders of the Lost Ark. It includes uh, Temple of Doom, includes Last Crusade, plus a bonus disc that has over three hours of content, which actually includes all the making of documentaries and some very cool things that uh, you might want to watch, including the little stapling on of the hat uh, by Harrison Ford uh, (laughs) from that. All of this can be yours if you know the secret word. And the secret word can be found in last week's episode, episode 15, where... Uh, during Rodrigo's review of Ghost Rider number 23, we edited out the name of Danny Ketch, who's actually the character that comes back to torment Johnny Blaze. So now you guys know it's Danny Ketch. Yeah, so there's a spoiler there. Uh, but we replaced it with a very specific word that Matthew said. And here's how the contest works. Between now and next Tuesday, when we uh, record episode 17, uh, you need to email that word to us at podcast at Majorspoilers.com. In the subject line, put in um, Indiana Jones Contest, and in the body of the email, put in that magic word that Matthew says, plus your full name and mailing address, and then next week, Matthew will draw the magic name from all the correct answers, and you will get this box set in the mail. How's that sound for a, a contest? Can, can, that sounds can pretty people awesome. who are involved with major spoilers? Unfortunately, Pantry. people that are involved with major spoilers, Matthew, uh, Rodrigo, Stacy B, uh, Josh Anyone H. employed Hell. by major spoilers or her affiliates or any competing stations, as well as anyone in the state of Tennessee, is not available. Your mileage <laughs> now, may vary. Thank you. I will say this. This is only open to U.S. residents. Mm-hmm. Okay? It's only open to U.S. residents. So you have to be and a U.S. resident. Sorry. And so we're sorry about that. But... Do tell all your friends about the show because more people who enter, the less chance you have of winning. But the more people who, who listen, 
who enter, we're doing this for you. This is like a, what, a $60, $70 value uh, DVD mm-hmm. collection that we are giving to you because you've listened this, this far to the show. And we really do thank you for listening. So remember, send that email to podcast at majorspoilers.com in the subject line, Indiana Jones DVD contest. Put in that secret word plus your full name and your address, U.S. residents only, and next week we will draw for that winner from all the correct answers. Now, probably only one person's going to enter and that person (laughs) will win, but that's the way it's going to work. Everybody, thank you for listening to the show. Please tell everyone that you love this show, that the show rocks, that you love it, blah, 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 blah. We appreciate everybody who participated in this show by leaving their comments through scattered throughout the website or through the Major Spoilers forum. We also appreciate everybody who, and I really mean this from the bottom of my heart, we appreciate everyone who listens to this show and the people that are giving us positive feedback about the show. We'll read some of that next week on next week's show. Go over and give us some, some positive ratings over at iTunes or Podcast Alley. If you have questions, if you have comments, in addition to entering that contest, you can contact us at podcast at Majorspoilers.com. And we're going to be here every week for you because we know that you love comics, and we do too, and we'll see you next time. Look out, Dr. Jones! Don't die for love, Dr. Jones! Don't die for love, Dr. Jones! No ticket!